Midtown Conversations. I am your host, Danielle DeVoe, and this week is all about theatre, drama, all of the excitement of the stage. So my guests this week uh, are Stephen Elliott Jackson, who is an award-winning playwright who has relocated from Manitoba, then to Toronto, and now to the region. He is a 13-year veteran of the fringe scene, uh, including having work uh, featured in Toronto, Hamilton, and Winnipeg. Uh, We're also joined by Kieran Myers, who is a writer, director, teacher, and performer. He is a former professional Irish dancer, although he assures me that with a little training, he could probably be back on stage. He has an MFA in script writing from the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama in London, England. And our final guest, Maria Kulinescu, has been active as an actor, director, writer, designer, and producer for over 15 years. She was previously the vice president of the Alberta Playwrights Network in Edmonton, and now she lives in Kitchener-Waterloo. She also has an MFA from the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, but in uh, advanced theater practice. And she uh, is the co-founder of Equilux Productions. All three have plays in Midtown Radio's upcoming Radio Dramas Live series. And we're going to be talking about their works, about the process of converting, Um, plays that one would ordinarily see on the stage to being uh, completely audio driven um, as well as some of their experiences of just the theatre scene in the region, accessing spaces and how they even got into this crazy into this crazy industry. So thank you so much for joining me everyone. And thank you for having us. (laughs) So I think we'll start with the um, the you know the life narrative question. How on earth did you end up in the theater industry? What would possess you in a world of hard jobs that are difficult to do and difficult to get funding for and difficult to get support for, that this is the one of those things that that you chose? So how did you get here? And you can start with the, like, what inspired you and then, you know, maybe along the way. Steven, how'd you get here? So I grew up in a community of 100 people, so there was no theater. Uh, I actually didn't grow up at all, almost any theater growing up at all. I actually only took my first theater class when I went to university, uh, being involved in, in it was, and it was such a broad general theater class that you did everything. Um, but what I discovered in my second year was that there was this, I, we had to create a piece of theater, and I discovered how much I loved being the creator of something and writing something, and I kind of could like manipulate how things worked, and I quite liked that. And so when I went to University of Regina, um, I was doing film, actually, but I discovered that theater was like half my time, and I was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And at one point, I just said, I just love writing scripts. I, like, there was no script writing program actually at University of Regina. There's one class of a four-year program on script writing. <laughs> and I realized that that's what I want to do. Um, unfortunately, you have to direct when you do those film programs so you got stuck doing it no matter what but uh and then when it came to toronto that's where i was able to kind of the freedom to write whatever i kind of wanted and i've kind of got that point where it's like find the place where it fit write what you want to write and find the place where it fits it may not be here it may be somewhere else it may be a different format like and it's, here we are right now talking about audio plays so yeah that's my journey to theater 
That's awesome. I also grew up in a community of uh, very few people in Alberta, so um, there was also no theater. <laughs> anyway, I know you, and there's nothing you can do about it, right? And so like you just kind of grow up there, and it's it was so hockey oriented. Um, <laughs> my brother was the only other person who didn't know how to skate, <laughs> besides me in the community. And so, uh, thankfully, we had these parents who had no idea what we were, <laughs> but they just kind of kept like believing and just letting us do our thing. I was a huge American history buff when I was growing up, and my parents just said, "I can either fight it or we can just go to Mount Rushmore." Uh, for a family nice. trip, right? It was like that, and that's what they did. And so they were, my parents were really good about this. I don't think they understood it completely, but they just knew there was something that we were going towards. And even if they couldn't necessarily be directly involved in that, they were just so supportive of it. And it must have been so great to move to Toronto where lots of people can't skate. <laughs> it's true, it's true. But uh, I know I moved to Toronto mostly because my mom would keep saying to me, you need to get a driver's license. I just kept moving to a bigger city. And to the point where I hit, a, I hit a city where you don't really need a driver's license at all. And they understood it. Um, no, and Toronto was also because I always, I'd always want to be, see what, what was here. I, I actually had only been in Toronto for about like 15 minutes, changing one from one plane to another plane before before I moved here. And so, yeah, no, Toronto was, Toronto was fun for doing theater and stuff. But it's also fraught with a lot of issues about what you can write, what you can't write. And yeah, so coming out to Kitchener was just like kind of a joy to some degree. It's been a kind of a joy coming out here because um, you have an opportunity to try stuff here that you wouldn't necessarily get in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So Kieran, what's your story? How'd you get here? Oh man, when you started posting the question, I started psychoanalyzing myself and I was like, how long is this radio show? You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, I, I homeschooled from grades five to 10 and um like many homeschoolers, we had a sort of intentionally structured community of, um, well, we were religious and uh, surrounded ourselves with families that were very much like ours. Um, and it was great in many ways. Uh, but I think also I was, you know, grades five to 10, it's sort of like your pubescent years, there's a lot of growth and self exploration that happens. And I was hungry for a wider community. Um, and theater. Doing community theater at that stage in my life felt like, I think because in theater you are culpable to everybody around you and like, like your contribution is absolutely crucial to the thing you're doing, but you require everybody else in order for you to like be of any use of any kind. Uh, And so it therefore felt like the most important thing I've ever done. Like it was like this, this new way of existing in community to me, I think. Um, yeah, and, and I think I've just been chasing that feeling of like, oh my gosh, this is so cool and important, and um, yeah, seeking that, I think, togetherness. So that's sort of like at least half the equation, and then um, my dad is an immigrant and from Ireland, and so when I was very young growing up, he was trying to like Irish us as much as he could and give us as much of that, as, you know, you said in my bio that I'm an, an Irish dancer, um, and in my sort of like 10 year old brain, I believed that absolutely everybody who lived in Ireland was an amazing poet and that therefore, um, I had to be a poet too. <laughs> and so like, yeah, so I guess take this like mystical importance of creative writing and then this discovery of the importance of community development that theater provides and put them together in your writing place. I mean, I think it's so interesting when your your parents are from a cultural community that is not the community in which you're growing up. 
I mean, we had the exact same experience of my grandparents being from England right. and sending us content as well. But it wasn't poetry and dancing. It was just Mr. Bean and Monty Python. And that was like, because <laughs> they're like, they must be educated in the ways of British comedy, um, you know, but like how they identify that. But I think, you know, Irish poetry is I, uh, probably a, a better kind <laughs> of um, um, training. <laughs> well, for some things, you know, <laughs> who knows? Uh, yeah, uh, don't diss the importance of a British sense of humor, I'd say. But great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and Maria, you, um, well, I, I know your story, but um, tell us, tell us, Maria, how did you get here? <laughs> how did I get here doing theater? Um, it was never the plan. Um, so I grew up in Romania, and I grew up, seeing a lot of theater and I loved it and uh, you know we had our end of year shows and you know did that and I really liked it and was always writing and uh, in grade 10 I got to do this uh, theater exchange program with uh, students from Italy and we went over there for a few weeks and they came over to Romania and we did like Midsummer Night's Dream in three languages so it was really cool uh, and that was still never the plan. It was just Europe fun. is so fancy. <laughs> <laughs> but it was still never the plan. It was it was just for fun. And um, then I was uh, forcibly uprooted and relocated to Canada when I was almost 17. Um, and my plan that I actually had was no longer possible in Canada because I wasn't a citizen yet. Um, so ended up, you know, doing the last couple of years of high school here and the classes I was taking, I had uh, the materials. We, anyway, I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty of the educational system uh, differences, but uh, I had already gone through most of the material that we did in regular classes here, like English, math, physics, whatever. I was bored. The only thing that I hadn't done uh, was drama formally, because in Romania we didn't have formal drama classes at the time. So those were the classes that I engaged with in the last couple of years of high school here and that I actually enjoyed. Uh, so when it came time to choose what to do, um, I honestly, I don't even know how the decision came about because I applied to a bunch of different things and got accepted and stuff. And um, But when it came time to choose something, the priority was to get out of here hmm. and go back to Europe. Um, and my best friend from home was uh, just about to move to Ireland. So I was like, okay, that's where I'm going. And the theater program was kind of what I had happened to find available there. Um, and that's how it kind of happened. And uh, it seems kind of random and um, like I just picked whatever, but I don't know. I've, it, not only it worked out, but it, it worked out for the best. And I think it's, it ended up being what I was supposed to do, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how things that you do when you're young that you don't think about as being part of the story, like going on an exchange to Italy and producing all of these plays. Like that that would seem that, you know, it didn't occur to you at the time or probably for years that that was, you know, a, a piece of the story that was building to this narrative. But then, of course, it's like, looking, looking yeah. back, we're like, wow, you were like set up from the beginning to <laughs> be in theater. That's an incredible experience. But, you know, you just, yeah. you just never know when you're... Yeah, no, at the time it was just like a fun thing to do and, you know, go go to Italy and see Italy and, you know, ride on a bus with all my high school friends for two weeks or whatever. And it was just a fun thing, but it was, that was all then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you were in, you, you, uh, you had moved, 
you eventually lo- were located in Alberta, and and you were sort of in in Alberta, and then um, uh, Prince George a little bit, I know, before here. But you were sort of you were particularly integrated into sort of the Edmonton theater scene before coming here. So you know, what was that kind of getting getting into that scene like? Yeah, that was where I spent in Canada that I spent the longest. I think eight eight nine years. Um, yeah, it was it was hard at first. Um, so I I spent one year in Canada before I went back to university in Europe, and you know didn't think I would come back. Um, and then I came back to Edmonton in t- uh, 2011, and um, it was supposed to be just for maybe a year or two to you know work and save up some money to go back to Europe and continue my schooling, but it ended up being longer than that. So. Um, for the first couple of years, I didn't really try to integrate or do much because it was just temporary. That wasn't worth my time. Um, but when I realized I was going to be there for longer, I, I tried to integrate more. And it took a long time because I wasn't as, uh, I don't know, open and, and bold and just kind of reaching out, you know, reaching out to people to get to know them and whatever. I just kind of waited, was 20-something and waiting for things to come to me. <laughs> um, or And not speaking up and not having a voice and not, you know, fe- not feeling like I belong anywhere. So it took, it took a, long, a long time to get integrated. Uh, but once I did, it's really good. Edmonton has a really, really, really good uh, community, mm-hmm. which... Yeah. So, I mean, it's so exciting to think about the, the sort of winding roads and how, how we get into the theater scene. But and and I'm glad you all made that choice, you know, and, and you've all kind of ended up here in this region, which is also um, really fun and exciting. And I I think we can say a lot about the theater scene here. And I think there are the good you take the good with the bad. And, and maybe we can talk a little bit about that and we'll start. We'll start on the on the positive side. So you know, if we think about your your now you've all, you've all ended up here. You're all working uh, playwrights. You know, what are some of the highlights about the local theater scene for you? Like, what makes it kind of um, seem like something that you want to continue to engage with and continue to um, produce? And we'll start with Kieran. Oh my gosh, what a great question. Uh, if I compare the region of Waterloo to similar-sized metropolitan areas in Canada, most of them have like a sort of a major regional theater that does a lot of summer stock or um, maybe musicals or like uh, sort of family shows. Um, and we don't presently have that here. And I think as a result, we the producing companies that we have... Um, get to pursue their own artistic initiative that is a much wider net than like what's commercially viable. Uh, I don't think we're necessarily, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's safe for me to say we're not driven by a commercial attitude artistically uh, in this region. And uh, yeah. And I think it provides, like Stephen was saying earlier about like the, he feels there's more he can do here creatively than in Toronto. And I, I, I'm not from Toronto, so I can't speak to that. But it's an amazing thing that artistically we could do just about anything, you know, provided the resources. And um, 
and uh, and we're not sort of bo- we're not anchored to um to sort of like a single I don't know um, I don't want to speak poorly of other cities but but if I think about for example London Ontario has the Grand Theatre which is an amazing place and often does beautiful programming but the independent art scene around it um, is not as like I don't know. I don't think they're necessarily, or I can't, maybe not now, but in, in past years, they weren't necessarily as rich and diverse and um, expressive as ours. And uh, it's not their fault in any way. They just have, you know, they just have, um, they have a, a heavier anchor to hold on to than we do. Yeah. There's more nimble, no more of a chance to be nimble here. Yeah. I was thinking that with the Kitchen Waterloo scene is that um, there's like almost like a space for all different types like there's like one space <laughs> but there's one space because like i think about what like, green does one sort of thing drain does one sort of thing kdu mp does one thing kdu little theater does another thing empty space does another thing and so those each of them have their own like little mandates per se but it make but they because it's not, like in toronto for instance i can speak to this one is that most of the theaters can survive purely on their own right they can almost survive purely on their own for what they do this is not the same thing here, and actually makes it stronger here in a lot of ways because we realize we rely on each other for our audiences to see things. I think uh, I used to make this kind of joke about when I was living in Regina, Saskatchewan, because I actually really love the gay community in in Regina, Saskatchewan, much more than Toronto, like so much more. <laughs> because I used to make this kind of like the little joke. I said, well, in order for an event to be successful, um, um, you need the the, the the drag community to, perf- to perform. You need the lesbians to organize, and you need <laughs> the gay men to pay for it. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it worked on so many levels because they needed each other. When I came to Toronto, like I remember saying, I was going to play in a volleyball tournament in Edmonton, which actually has a great, great volleyball tournament out there. Uh, I was playing with this lesbian on this team, and, and he said, "You know a lesbian?" I'm like, "And you live in Toronto?" And because the communities are so separate from each other, oh. I felt like the theater scene could also be like that sometimes too, yeah. where everyone can kind of survive on their own. And that's fine. But that's what's lovely about Kitchener-Waterloo and the theater scene is that they need each other. They can still create what they want to create, but they still need each other in right. order to actually have an audience there. And if you don't have an audience, it's kind of like, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around <laughs> yeah. to make a sound, it's, that's what the theater scene is. You need the audience there. And so it's hard to get an audience out now, of course, because... COVID didn't help things, obviously. Yeah. But um, but you need it, and you they, and everyone kind of needs each other, and I think that's a very important thing to have in a community is need. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I haven't been here long enough to really kind of have a informed opinion, but like, <laughs> as of yet. But what I have observed is that there's a lot of uh, people who are actively working to create create and strengthen the community. So not just kind of waiting for it to naturally happen necessarily because that doesn't always it's people are busy people are mm-hmm. you know well when i think about well i mean i'm not toot horn horn here but i mean i think about that with the little writers group like mm-hmm. i was kind of like oh there seems to be a lot of writers here well what happened we just all just got them together because writers don't generally hang out together we generally sit in our little rooms yeah. and we write our things and or you know and we don't like we don't see each other like I, I don't remember any writers I knew in Toronto that I actually just hung out with I think Andrew Scott was probably the closest and only because I just kind of she just one day just put a post out and said hey anyone want to hang in my backyard and said yeah sure I'll come over yeah. <laughs> and I hung in her backyard uh, but but that's kind of the beautifulness of a smaller community is that you can actually start to build those things mm. and yeah because 
Well, I mean, if you don't see another writer, it's, it's hard. It's hard yeah. not to see another writer to bounce things off of. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And I, and this is this, you know, this tipping point that this community is probably at right now where, you know, we're a region of maybe three quarters of a million people growing fast. Yep. Um, but each individual city still kind of thinks about themselves in terms of their own real size. And so we kind of operate in this hybrid, like little big place mode. Uh, and, you know, when I first moved here over a decade ago, got this cautionary tale of, oh, you're moving from Toronto, which I'd only been in Toronto for like half a second, but still, it's <laughs> like, that was the narrative. Um, and, uh, but people said, you know, there's no six degrees of separation in this community. It's two, you know, don't, you cross one person, they know the next person that you're going to be talking to. And, and. So, I mean, that was a, a kind of a, a, a negative phrasing of the cautionary tale, but, you know, that, that, that also works in your favor that, as you said, like everyone in the theater community knows everyone else. And so there is this kind of like ready-made um, advocacy community and support community there if you, yeah. if you reach out for it and if you engage it. And mm-hmm. if there's anything a theater requires is relationships. Because like you, like McKeon mentioned about his growing period where, you know, that idea when you put people together in a theater type thing, I mean, there's the horrible thing of saying, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link, but <laughs> type of thing, but it's very true in a smaller community. You have that where if you don't have that relationship with other people, you don't get anything done. No, yeah. nothing yeah. gets done in a city in Toronto. I mean, I don't necessarily have to go to one of those, like, like. I can go to one theater company, but I don't necessarily need the other theater company. There's something like almost to some degree like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so big that they can have their own little spaces. Where in Kitchener, Waterloo, you don't, there's not that advantage. So you need to build a relationship and you have to build authentic relationships. Yeah. yeah. That's the key to it all. Yeah. I was talking to someone yesterday and, you know, about this kind of stuff. And uh, I said to them, you know, if, if you ever come across a theater person who actually wants to work alone, it's probably not someone you want to work with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. It really doesn't work. COVID was bad for that too, right? Because it almost created that a little bit because it was like, well, you're only going to create a, like a little video piece in your house. But no, and yeah. necessity is one thing, but just it's the attitude. Like if you're, you can't be standalone in theater. Like you just, it does not create good work. No. no. Yeah, um, years ago I was talking to a high school uh, class about what we do and one of the questions was what's the most important thing and they were they weren't asking about playwriting per se but just theater in general like producer stage manager doesn't matter anything and uh, at the moment my answer was you just have to love people <laughs> um, you don't have to love everybody <laughs> but but you have to love people yeah maybe you just have to love the concept of people <laughs> 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 the idea of people is great. Yeah. Yeah. We'll Specific get to know each examples, other. Maybe. Yeah, we'll get to know each other and see where we're at then, you know? <laughs> we won't name names. Right. <laughs> well, speaking of, of not getting along with people, like, I mean, what, I, I don't think it's the people, but what are the biggest challenges in this region? Maybe just pick your top one or two. Yeah, <laughs> oh boy. Oh... Uh... We lost our, um, oh, what's the word? It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, our arts council. Our, so we have an arts fund. But regional we lost, arts council. That's right. Yeah. We lost our regional arts council almost, but not quite 20 years ago. And I think we're still recovering from that loss uh, around the same time that theater and company shut down. Um, and, uh, and I think that, to, speaking to your point about us being sort of three cities and also a region in our region, 
um, w w it's easy to feel very disparate and without that sort of anchor to clearly um, help the leaders lead the charge. Um, yeah, I think that there's a there's a, a sense of injustice among the folks who've been doing it here for a long time. Uh, um, and uh, and also, you know, an, an arts council, as well as funding, they advocate for funding. And so I think that we, you know, yeah, I think that that loss is still hitting us in a very practical way as well. Yeah, the arts fund, it, the, the, the one-stop shop for arts funding that an arts council provides, the advocacy, and also the, the data, the research that yeah. you can't really say, like, how much does a playwright in Kitchener-Waterloo earn? <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> you know, there's that, yeah. and also, but that, but that, but that no one knows the act of the real numeric answer to that question, yeah, right. even, even if it is a, a laugh. Laughable. Yeah, but you know, I, I feel like sometimes it's more like a negative than number yeah. than a positive. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you lose more money. Right. Uh, I have but we don't want to know how you feel. Points. We want to know the real number. Yeah, like, yeah, you know. yeah, no, you're right. There's no data, right? Mm -hmm. If an arts council right within the region is has to be much stronger and has to be the advocate, has to be that voice, other place, and, and it has to be a place where the voices within the community can go to yeah. to offer their offer their perspective and what are their needs. I mean, there's nowhere to really tell your needs here, I don't think, is there? And so I, I don't have as much knowledge about that. So mm. um, I feel really weird saying that because, like, I had never, when I was in Toronto, I could never get a grant to save my life. And I got one here. Here, yeah. And I felt, I felt sort of guilty because I was like, oh, did I? Like, oh. No, you know, I don't like, feel guilty. <laughs> but I did for a little second. And so, yeah. Yeah, if you don't have a place where you can offer perspective, like, and I can, you can hear the voices speaking rumbles in like little bits. Yeah. There's no one place where you can direct that to do anything comprehensive of community building. Yeah. Did you have another challenge that you want to talk about other than an arts council region, um, Stephen? Oh, geez. Um, besides funding, of course. Funding is always the hardest one. Honestly, it's, you just can't get around it. Um, I, would, I mean, space-wise is a big thing here in, in, in Kitchener. We seem to have about like one size of space for like, like, like there's like the theaters here are so fascinating. The spaces, it's like there's like one audience size per space. Like there's not like, be really nice if there were five 100 seat theaters. Right. Versus like one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, and that's a challenge. And we have a lot of really big spaces that are not really feasible to a local arts community because you have to be able to fill those seats. So that's not like, yeah, that's a trickiness. I think space is a big one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maria? Um, both of those. <laughs> um, I mean, probably a challenge not that's not specific to here, but in general, and especially after COVID, is audiences and people coming out to see things. Or not, rather. Yeah. Coming out to see things. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I have a lot yeah. of hope, though. Sorry to interrupt, okay. I, I, but I, you know, this like like Andrea's. Uh, pardon me. Like Danielle said, that our city's growing, and uh, I think that the, there's a bubbling curiosity. Like it is a challenge; it has been a challenge. But I do feel hope for the, the near future, as far as that's concerned. Yeah. Yeah. What's well, one thing I thought about when I, when I first came here? It's so funny. I've even got the note on my phone still. I've got like archived. It was like I got here, and I felt like like three months later, I said. Where do you actually find out about what's actually playing here? Mm. Right. What's once I want like 
though it's gone completely belly up in Toronto, which is now magazine. Now magazine, you could always like find that paper, go flip through it, yeah. and know exactly what was playing that week. Yeah. And I don't know where that is here. And of course, I, of course, I already know going how to build that. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. I started going again, then it's back to money again. So it's like, you know, and work. Yeah. It's a lot of work to do that. But um, there's, there's nothing like that. And so I'm curious how people reach audiences here if you don't have somewhere where they can actually find the information. It's sort of like you've got, like, I think there's an audience here. Like, I mean, I seeing it, Impact Festival this year was really inspiring to watch because there actually was a neat audience that came out to it. But then I was also kind of thinking, are they the same audiences just because they know about it already? Yeah, and Impact Festival has a strong, like, street presence. Like, they're out there. You see the big stage being built. You're like, what's, you know, what's going on here? And then you have people dancing and booths and stuff. So right in downtown Kitchener. So you kind of see that something's going on, even if you don't necessarily know about it beforehand yeah whereas if you have a player or something at the you know at the registry or you know maybe you have like a little little poster outside or Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah yeah. well and what would you what would you say to audiences that are resistant towards theater either they haven't returned post-covid they're uncomfortable or i think more importantly i think there are there are people who would never, you know, they also grew up in the town that didn't have theater and they would never see themselves as the kind of people who would go to the theater. They're intimidated by it. They're not sure what will happen in that space. They're not sure about wh- what they'll <laughs> see or if they'll like it. So, you know, what, like, what would you, what would you say to someone who, who's never been to live theater? I would say that there are so many more kinds of theater now than people think rather than just a traditional you go in, there's a black box, there's lights, there, you know, you sit there in the dark, you watch a thing, you applaud, you leave. Like, there's a lot, like, a, a lot of the work I'm interested in and that I'll, I'm trying to get up and go and up and running is interactive, immersive, experiential, like, theater that you, that is, is non-traditional. So it's a non-traditional space. As you go, you interact with it, you, you have an experience, you're engaged in it, you're, um, you're part of it, not just watching it or, or observing it. So if audiences are kind of resistant because they think, oh, I just, I don't want to like go sit there and watch a thing for two hours, then there are a lot more things to see and do when it comes to theater. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. It's changed. Yeah. It's changing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that can also, and th- the space issue that can also solve it because like non-traditional theater can take place in non-traditional spaces. Yeah. You know, you don't have to have a, big imposing intimidating building to go to to do things you can do it you know in someone's living room in someone's backyard in an alley in a thing so the the yeah the challenge with all that of course is then you know because the cost of theater can get because there's this oh there's a lot of things uh the idea of like you know you want like you want people in theater to actually be able to make it on the money that they're making from the theater, unfortunately, not have to do so many other jobs in order to pay for something. So that's, cha- that's a challenging piece about it. How do you get enough audiences in to help cover the cost of the shows that you're doing? Um, and so, yeah, doing a non, or that does help actually quite a bit because there's a lot of like uh, spaces wise that, that we could use that are not necessarily like unaffordable type of thing to actually use this space. It's all about creating relationships again, right? I think it's bound yeah. relationships. How you make those relationships within the community to put on theater in other spaces that are not like traditional theater space. Yeah, you know? and to get and and to normalize and get people to 
see it as legitimate theater, even if it's not in a hundred year old building or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and that's kind of you, you get maybe smaller audiences, but a lot more um, often. <laughs> I'd also offer to say that um, maybe one of the uh, um, symptoms of the fact that we have this um, ability to d do basically whatever we want here, as I alluded to earlier, uh, uh, also, I think, can sometimes cause a perception that um, that people go to the theater to see something that they're supposed to that they're supposed to like or that they have to swallow or that it, that it's something that it's sort of like this medicine rather than this joy and i and i would just say that um when, when in fact the reality is our city our region is full of highly trained experts who are really goofy and want nothing more than to love you like that's like we just really really want to build a community and we really want you to be part of it and we want to love you and that's that's what we're doing, you know, um, and like there's a myriad of ways, but that's why we're here. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think to your point that audiences think they're supposed to like it and swallow it. I think there's also a perception that you're supposed to get it. Right. And like, that's yeah. not a thing. Sometimes we don't even get it. It's fine. <laughs> 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 I think I, so when I go see shows, I try to think three things when I go in uh, or when I leave. Uh, did it make me think? Did it make me feel? Did it entertain me? Because I find uh, great theater will do all three. Yeah. Will do all theater. And then some things will make you think, but you're like, but I was just bored through all this. I've thought about this idea. but yeah. or, um, or I can't remember the character's name at the end of yeah. it. And you should remember the character's name, by the way. It's like, you know, you tell a bad movie and a good movie. Right. It's like when you can't right. remember the character. Like, I, for years, I couldn't remember the, the Will Smith's character's name in Independence Day, and it always bugged me. Going, going, I should remember his name. He's, like, literally in three quarters of this movie. Yeah. I could not remember his name. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think that I, I try and take that perspective and all that. I think people, there's a group of people who think theater is just a thinking game. A thinking game. It's okay to be entertained. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. Sometimes I feel like... But I, but I think it's also a, a symptom of the theater community, too, that doesn't just want to entertain. It's like we have to make things that make people, like, feel things down below. And it's like, no, no sometimes yeah. it's nice just to think. Just have fun mm -hmm. yeah. with the piece. And that gets into the issue of, like, what is legitimate theater? Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and um, one more thing that I kind of say if I'm talking to someone who's not versed in theater is um, good theater is... A question, not an answer. Yes, that's exactly it. where they have to think about the, what what is their answer to it, on their own words, or maybe not. Maybe they, they just go home and think about it and think about it and think about it and never come up with anything, and that's totally fine. Yeah, and it's also about what you bring to it as an audience member. It's like, do you understand this show? Yes, great, enjoy it. No, great, like sp spend time with yourself and and feel something, and that's like, where else are we getting that right now in society in our community? Um, you know, like, like what you bring to it is, is 90% of the show. So we need audiences to get back into theaters. We're in agreement that theater can happen in a uh, sort of unconventional spaces. The, the spaces that exist here are kind of, uh, limited and, um, sometimes out of reach or if they are within reach they're probably booked um <laughs> yeah. so you know just quickly i go around everyone if you 
if if you could if you had a, if you had someone said here's some capital uh, funds um, build a theater you know what what would your what does this community need in terms of a, a space or a venue that would be of most benefit to people like you who work in theater. Uh, <laughs> we're all fuzzy. I, I, I think an ideal space in this community is 100 seats. You can change it however you want to change it inside. Like, yeah. um, Conrad's a little much bigger than that. It's like 300, so it's a little harder. Yeah. But a 100-seat theater is ideal because it is better to be in a space that you can fill than have a too big of a space that looks empty every time you see mm-hmm. it. And that's an audience, too. An audience has to feel they're part of something. So if you have a space that's not a typical like proscenium for everything that you can modify, that's like a block, it. You'd like a, like a, a complete back box theater, yeah, like like yeah. literally like a little little factory, tiny little factory floor mm. type space. I feel like that'd be the ideal that you can modify to whatever you wanted. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to disagree because again, <laughs> that's, okay. that's 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 adhering to the kind of traditional standard of you have this one building, and yes, you can modify it on the inside, but only so much. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's an answer. I don't think there's one thing that you can build to support, you know, every th- every type of work that everyone here wants to do because it's so different. Like there are different things. Like someone might need a twenty seat space that's just temporary and that's I don't know in a tunnel somewhere. Like I've seen a show uh, at the Edmonton Fringe in a sea can. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen uh, still in Edmonton again. There was a, I think a whole, like short theater festival that was done in elevators, mm-hmm. like, and it's interesting work. It's it's to do interesting work. I think you need interesting spaces. Like not to say that uh, mm-hmm. a black box is unnecessary because yeah. it is like obviously, mm-hmm. but how many audience people saw those shows though? Um. Oh, many. The the Seacan had in the Seacan show. I think had like three showings a day for 10 days and uh, maybe an audience of 25 each, you yeah. know, so 75, 750. Yeah. <laughs> the only challenge I have that type of theater as well, unfortunately, because I've done that now, it's that type of theater. I did a show in Spadina House in Toronto. And the biggest challenge was if I had not done the Go campaign to pay my actors, they would have been left with about 25 bucks each. Okay. So that, those are... You can do those if, as long as your actors and all the team members work together in order to create that experience and are pretty okay with doing a lot more work than... Yeah, but that depends on your expenses, too. Because, I mean, obviously, I don't know what you had to, like, if you had to rent the house or whatever. Like, I, oh, I saw the show. God. I liked the show. Oh, yeah, I, know, yeah, I know that. Uh, <laughs> but, like, if you if you have a show that's going on in a sea can, then you can rehearse it in your living room. You don't need to... Uh, you don't have the expense of the rehearsal space. You don't have... Yeah. And you know, obviously it's a sea can. You don't have sets, you don't have like it's very cheap apart from the fringe fee. Yeah. Your expenses are very low. Yeah. So do you think that something, you know, we we have now this idea that every city needs to have someone who's scouting film locations and documenting them and keeping track of like these are spaces that are available to films mm-hmm. if they want them. You know, is is that kind of thing for theater? Like what's what's missing? Like this kind of idea or this 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 kind of stockpile of of locations that are available and amenable you know maybe the barbershop down the street wants to just always be on the radar of people theater like people who producing theater and maybe musicians 
they just always want like they're they're willing to be a space that people can use and you know is do we need that kind of like creative that non-traditional creative in space inventory to sort of support the community um i want to chime in i i think that we i think we have the spaces we need both in terms of uh, what Steven's talking about is sort of more traditional um, theater going experience and what Maria's talking about in terms of found spaces. I think that our producers in this town are overworked and accessing those spaces, whether they're just outside in the city or inside a big theater, is the barrier, not the existence of those spaces. And I mean, I'm fallible, whatever. Like, this is just a perspective. But um, for example... A couple of years ago, I wanted to produce a Shakespeare in the Park. And so I reached out to the city to use a particular park. And um, first, I, I just had to wait for them to respond. And in the meantime, grant deadlines were sliding on by so that, you know, I, I just needed to know if we had the space or not in order to write this grant in order to pay people. And then I had actors who were like waiting to know if they had a gig or not. Um, and that's, you know, uh, and then ultimately we did not get the park. And I... By that point, I was sort of out of juice and I couldn't do the show. And that's fine, right? Like, that's going to happen. Um, but I think that example is true to our traditional theater spaces here as well as our untraditional theater spaces. And that our producers are working so hard um, to do what we do um, that if there was some, like you, like you described for the film industry, just like an inventory of places that we could just kind of book and walk into, like, that would be... A golden goose like that would be that would be amazing um but uh uh i don't want to blame i don't want to blame bureaucracy or red tape because that exists to sort of protect us and the city and audiences and it's there for a reason and it's um you know that's important too but i think maybe maybe a system in place that we knew how to navigate that the city or the region were to offer um, so that people could sort of have a timeline and have a knowledge of what they're getting into uh, rather than sort of carrying the burden of labor on on basically the money that they're just scraping together themselves, you know, so they're like underpaid in order to do this huge job in order to then produce a play um, just to kind of have access to a place like the Conrad Center or the studio at the back of Center in the Square or just King Street or or some park, you know. Um, I think that's the barrier as far as sort of my perception is concerned. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've been putting thought yeah. into it. I mean, to, it's a great conversation. And I think every sector of the creative economy is having this conversation right now. Musicians are having this conversation about lack of music venues um, who are also in competition with the same venues that that we're using in theater sector. Um, and so there's just kind of this ongoing, and we don't even talk about dance. Dance just kind of has to squeak in along the, uh, you know, in the margins whenever yeah. uh, something can open up. And so there is this larger question of how do we, how do we access the information? How do we, how do we find the spaces? And, you know, uh, the, the Midtown radio solution to that space question was to take spaces out of it entirely um, and 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 propose ra radio dramas because then it doesn't you know it doesn't matter where you do them we we we, do, we will be doing them in a location but it um but but it is kind of a new a different approach and it was really like an appropriately pandemic approach when people couldn't go to theaters to say well we can bring theater to you 
Um, and, and, and so last year, um, not last year, 2020, maybe? No, 2020, 2021. I think 2020, in 2021, Midtown Radio released Kieran Meyer's Hamburger uh, on, mm-hmm. on the station. So we'll start with you, Kieran, talking about, you know, you are used to staging productions. Hamburger was a production that you had staged successfully. Yep. And we said, now make it just sound. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. How, how did you do it? Oh, that is such a really good example because that play started at the Registry Theatre as a 30-minute one act in you know under stage lights with a seated audience in the dark and then it went on at the toronto fringe in a bar where the audience was ordering food and drinks during the show like intent we designed it as such and um the audience the actors were all the way around them in every direction and then onto radio uh, uh so it's had a journey i don't um it was co like it was lockdown era of covid and i remember the actors weren't in, working in the same room <laughs> so we were like, how do we do this over the phone and audio record with a third telephone on the line? Or no, do we do we have them record it separately and then splice it together and like undergo that huge editing labor? Uh, um, gosh, that was hard. And I think we squeezed every dime out of your grant in, in order to do it. And so thank you for making that possible. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. It was um, an education. <laughs> but you're having uh, potentially an easier go of it now. You've written an original piece for this round, so you started knowing that it was a radio drama um, that that you were going to write, and then um, uh, Maria uh, is, uh, I was going to say staging, but I guess kind of staging, but it's, directing. It's still staging. It's still staging. It's still staging. Yeah, yeah it's still very staging. much so. <laughs> so, um, you know, what what is your your original radio drama written originally to be a radio drama your authentic radio drama what 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 is it yeah 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 that's a great yeah and actually if we compare with hamburger there was definitely like some plot point moments that were just action that were just an actor doing a thing to another actor and that moved the plot forward and obviously i did not write that at all with um with this play uh, but I also knew that we were capable of being in the same room um, safely now that we're, you know, vaccinated and that um, and that Midtown Radio has grown. So we're not like sharing a microphone or something like that. You know, like it's <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so. Sorry, I'm imagining like a 50s band like. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think I actually, I think I went back to like a sort of hyper traditional idea of what playwriting is and just created dramatic action through dialogue. And it's just conversation moves the story and reveals and shifts the character. And it's um, like, there's almost no stage directions. And it's like a really sort of old fashioned, I don't know if old fashioned is the right way to say, but a really traditional way of writing plays. Um which was a joy. Uh, and I got to write it really quickly, I think, because it was sort of like based on that long tradition um, of just like dialogue does the work. And it was fun. And you were obligated to write it really quickly. Because <laughs> the timeline was the timeline. Yeah, yeah, it was great. <laughs> and, um, and it wasn't just awesome. that you got to. <laughs> yeah. And you had to go over like to get over like our basic instincts as theater people of show, don't tell to tell, don't show. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, Steven, you're, you you adapted a work. I did, but the weird so, I, so I, it was actually a, a play in a twenty four hour play competition, The Fringe. Yes. Um, written right from scratch because I usually go into those with like ideas of plays, 
And then one thing threw me off because you have to have like these four items in the sh- in the play, and the domesticated pigeons, which I can tell you is a big key in this show. I couldn't put into any of the other ideas. I just blanked. And so it literally, I, I remember being at a yoga studio working <laughs> and the play idea came to me and I just wrote it like that night uh, for this competition. So it started with that. And then um, when COVID hit, I had spots in the Toronto Fringe. Um, first time I'd ever got picked in the lottery for the Fringe and then the COVID happened. Oh. <laughs> like I'm talking 17 like years of entering oh. that competition. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 17 yeah i hadn't been picked in 17 years i won the new play contest i had you know but i never actually oh it was a horrible lottery horrible lottery so i get picked (laughs) and then so that happens and then i'm like the play i was going to do doesn't fit into a video format it just didn't fit for me um so also i looked at this my this 24-hour play and went oh the plot line could actually work well for a video play and then we did that i did that with some friends a lot of fun and then we had come to talk to me about audio plays. And I thought, well, that play actually probably still works as an audio play because there was still a lot of audio already inherent in the script mm-hmm. that I was writing. And since and I didn't, I had the complete opposite because I'm a, I'm a dialogue person. Right. So I just like dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. I, I read very little stage directions. And so that play, just, my writing kind of fits that format a little bit. And so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun putting this thing together and just re- revamping it a little bit to fit the format even more so than it, where it would have been before. Yeah. Yeah, so. and so, um, and then, Maria, you have a, a play in uh, the series that you wrote, and then you're also directing and producing the entire series. So tell us about your play first, and then maybe um, tell us a little bit about um, that experience of producing radio dramas. I've seen a lot of live radio dramas, um, but it's the first time kind of doing one. Um, and mine is, I, I went for kind of the more traditional radio drama, like kind of silly, fun, you know. Um, yeah, I kind of went for that vibe. And uh, it's, my mine is just, it's a love letter to theater. Uh-huh. And... Uh, yeah, that's, and it was. It's. It'll be. It'll be fun to see it. To see it come to life. Um, yeah, and with producing again, it's. It's. A, it's. A, it's. A, it's a learning curve. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't. And I, you know, I don't. It's different, obviously. Like especially because we're doing live foley and stuff. But um, at the heart of it, it's still. It's still. It's still theater. It's still drama. The rehearsal. You know. Rehearsals are still kind of understanding yeah. what you're trying to, what you're trying to communicate and yeah. communicate yeah. it in an effective and entertaining yes. way that makes you think and feel. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the fact that we got so scared off by telling anything about our stories that we'd actually not one of us mm-hmm. actually said anything <laughs> actually about the play that we're doing. <laughs> You know, so well. One of the things that I thought was exciting about uh, radio dramas was the idea that they could be produced quickly, that there could be a workshop feel. I mean, uh, people who were doing radio dramas often didn't even see the scripts before they had to read them on the air, and so there's that kind of immediacy, and and then also that kind of deals with the the space constraints that we're we're in, um, and so. Um, I'm really excited about our current series. I'm and and Maria's doing a great job putting it together. Maria, did you want to talk a little bit about? So we we're we're going to be live recording the series three shows at a time. There'll be six shows in total. The first three um, will be recorded on October eighth 
at the Apollo, uh, and then the second three will be uh, recorded on October 22nd. Um, and from there, then, they will be um, broadcast on Midtown Radio um, throughout uh, sort of November and, and December uh, when it's getting cold and people can sit at home and they can tune in and they can listen. They can listen to them. Um, uh, yeah, but Maria, did you have anything to say about the upcoming, about the upcoming show? Uh, come see it. Come listen to it. Come participate with gasps, laughter, applause, <laughs> shock and awe. <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, I mean, a, a few people that I've told about the series haven't hadn't actually haven't seen one before, with you know, the foley setup and you know all the you know you have your little shoes and chains and I don't know whatever <laughs> whatever else whatever else uh, Gary Kirkham our foley artist will have, but uh, it should it should be fun and it's a it's a it's a different type of thing it's a thing it's a it's a form of theater that you don't see. As often as others. I've been describing it as how, see, come see how the sausage gets made. Because I, and I do think especially the sound effects, you know, that, that sound effects aren't always mo- made with the thing that ordinarily makes that sound. And so it's really interesting to see that happen yeah. in front of you, to see, you know, how you make the sound of snow crunching. Well, I, I think it, this type of theater or this type of, of, of production air thing is so wonderful for an audience to see. Because sometimes an audience will go... The, the theater just appears and there it is it's all done right and now you get a chance to see the schematics of how difficult sometimes it is put together the fun of putting these together the like you get to see it all happen and i think that i, I i've actually seen uh, people record podcast a whole podcast series in a theater space before myself and it was such a beautiful thing i want to go every sunday to see it because it was just so interesting to see the actors and what what's going on in them when they're actually doing this, but you won't see on live on, on when you hear it when you hear it in the air, and then that's kind of the other cool thing is that you get to see this the making of it before you actually see it, mm-hmm. and that's something an audience doesn't get the opportunity to see usually. I think it's kind of beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Midtown Radio Dramas, we are producing six original radio dramas. They will be recorded live at the Apollo Cinema in Kitchener on October 8th and October 22nd. You can buy tickets for both of those shows. Um, and, um, and then you will listen to Midtown Radio throughout the fall to hear it. Um, the, 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 the plays are all um, original or adapted works that have been uh, f- for Midtown Radio. Um, and uh, the cast uh, is Gary Kirkham, who will be doing a fantastic, phenomenal job on Foley, <laughs> as well as actor Sam Mercury. Uh, Jen Weatherall and Brennan Windsor, and it's directed by Maria Kolonescu, who is one of my guests today. Uh, Maria is a writer, director, producer living in the region, um, and uh, as well as Kieran Myers and Stephen Elliott Jackson, also uh, playwrights uh, uh, living in the region, and they all have works in the upcoming Midtown radio drama series. My name is Danielle DeVoe. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to my guests for joining me today for that really fantastic conversation about about the theater scene. And I feel like we still have a lot more to say about it. So probably we'll need to do a part two uh, on on the topic of the theater. Amazing. Thank (laughs) you so much. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. 
Thanks so much for listening this week. As always, you can listen to the show on demand at midtownconversations.transistorfm. You can get in touch with anyone from Midtown Radio by, uh, by following us on Instagram at midtownradiokw, or you can send us an, an email to midtownradiokw at gmail.com. And um, you can find out more about everything that's going on with the organization, any of our events, any of our music catalog from midtownradio.ca. 